0: Thanks for tuning in. This is the Day 3 Podcast, brought to you by Team Collective Effort. What is Collective Effort, you may ask?
1: Dalton? Wait, what, what is it? No, so team collective, effort, <laughs> <laughs> team collective Effort is a group of players based in or out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, who are looking to put forth content to hopefully not only make ourselves, but all of you uh, better at Magic the Gathering. So... What's important to know is that we are not professional magic players. Um, maybe we will be one day. Um, who knows? Hopefully, that would be pretty cool. But what we are hoping to do with this podcast is to put forth something a little different. It's really easy to look at those professional players, those ones who have made the the Hall of Fame or the Pro Tours, and say, wow, I wish I could be like them. And then you go online, you look at their content, and it's, they're saying these things and putting out these things. And you go, yeah, that makes sense, but how can I do that? Like... I, I don't have these same opportunities. I, I, maybe I won't be able to test this out at a Grand Prix because I don't have a Grand Prix near me. Um, what we are hoping to do is provide examples of how players can make themselves better at whatever event they're looking for to hopefully one day maybe push yourself towards that Grand Prix, that mythic qualifier finish. With the five of us, we hope to be able to hit a variety of different aspects of the game um, we have a couple players here that are interested in moving up on the competitive ladder maybe to look at top 8 Grand Prix's, making Day 2, maybe getting those invitations to the Mythic Championships. We also have a few players who have a background in judging, who have been able to take those rules and those policy interactions to be able to implement that into competitive play and how you can take those things and use them to your advantage, as well as these same judges who are also interested in playing competitive magic. Just because we know the rules and policy and work some of the tournaments doesn't mean we can't have fun at the others. And we would also love to be able to make day two of a Grand Prix, to be able to move to the top eight, and to be able to get those invitations to the Mythic Championships. Uh, so
0: we're introducing ourselves today. And we have uh, a few of us here. We we get, uh, We're planning on doing some intros here, but we also want to kind of tell you what our specialties are and when it comes to the Magic Realm. Uh, Will, why don't you start us off? Alright, for those that
2: don't know me, which is everyone listening out there, my name is William Brown. Uh, Let's see, where to begin? Started playing Magic right before Shadows of Innistrad was released, so I'm probably the least experienced player in terms of time played here, Uh, but I think I've also played the most competitive events, besides maybe Marcos, because you played quite a bit in, uh, in Ye Olden days before I started playing. Basically anything three years back or further is Ye Olden days to me. Uh, I've played multiple PPTQs, uh, multiple Grand Prixs, I Day 2'd in Amonkhet Limited Grand Prix, or sorry, Hour of Devastation. I've gotten three top eights in Modern PPTQs, all with Eldrazi Tron, which is my specialty in Modern basically, it's the only deck I've played for going on two and a half years now, and other than that I like to play Control and Standard and uh, hope to get better at Magic overall.
3: Awesome, awesome. Uh, Brian, what about you? So I've been playing this time around Uh, (laughs) (laughs) since Shadows Over Innistrad block. I played a little bit back in, I believe it was Mercadian Masks. Mm, Yeah, and then I put it back down because school got in the way. Uh, But I've been playing since Shadows Over Innistrad block. I generally gravitate towards kind of a blue-red tempo sort of strategy. Uh, When Shadows came out, I uh, really latched onto the Thing in the Ice Fevered Visions combo, as, you, as it were, and as that rotated out of Standard, I picked that up in Modern with the Thing Ascension deck uh, using Thing in the Ice Pyromancer's Ascension and a bunch of blue and red spells just to really overwhelm the opponent. It usually works. Uh, more recently, I've been playing a Delver build with Delver of Secrets and a bunch of the same blue and red spells. It's almost like you like blue and red. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a specialty.
1: Wink, Dutch. What about you, Dalton? Uh So I've been playing Magic since uh, the Return to Ravnica block, towards the end of that. And I got in in high school when a friend... Finally convinced me to play with him. He was uh, trying to teach his girlfriend how to play And she got so mad at him for always winning that he decided to make me play with her so that she wouldn't get mad and hate the game uh,
4: That's a legit strategy. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely uh, so I've been playing for I guess that makes it probably five years now and I Want to do one thing and that is turn my creature sideways and attack face and if I can't do that then I'm not happy round times of 50 minutes should never be hit there is no reason to
0: go over 30 (laughs) minutes in a
1: round very nice very nice so marcos go ahead and do
0: yours as well
4: uh yeah so i have been playing i remember very specifically when i was a little kid playing with a sliver queen and wondering what in the world a sliver token was Mm -hmm. so probably around stronghold tempest era is when i first picked up the game. Uh, Back when I had no idea what any of the actual rules were or what the cards really meant. But they looked cool and they were fun, so I played. Uh, From there, picked it back up in Gatecrash era, so about the same time as Dalton. Uh, You can believe it, that's now six years ago, Dalton. That came out in February 2013. So that's a thing, apparently. Who's feeling old? Yeah, everybody's feeling old here from there been doing a lot of modern modern is my jam uh some of my better finishes all came while piloting amulet bloom in its heyday with summer bloom and amulet titan and all that good stuff did a couple top eights uh pbtqs came close to day twoing a gp once with it and then failed out tremendously in the last three rounds but overall love that kind of deck i love putting big, giant creatures on the field, turning them sideways, and just making you lose without you really having much say in the matter.
0: i got a path. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Get them. Ramp them. Ramp yeah. Awesome. Well, my name is Patrick. Basically, uh, I've been playing... My um, first started playing, I believe it was 2003. Uh, mostly just uh, kind of kitchen table style magic. 7th uh, edition was out. I think Star set had just come out in the last few years before that. Um, I remember... Uh, Thorn Elemental being, like, the bomb diggity in our in our, <laughs> our play group. Um, also, like, Annihilate was a good card, because it killed a thing. It's great. Uh, I look now, and I'm like, that's not ultimate price. It's not Doom Blade. Like, There's so many better ones. I don't get it. Uh, nevertheless, at the time, that was good, you know, and we didn't know about drawing cards or anything like that. We just played for a while. I played all the way through uh, up until the Kamigawa Black and when I went to college, and uh, apparently I didn't miss much. I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I kind of got back into it with original Ravnica, Played for, like, a month, maybe. And uh, I was really upset when I opened all these stupid dual lands in my packs. So I was like, I need cards that do stuff, not lands. What's this crap? <laughs> um, nevertheless, uh, then I started playing back about at the same time, maybe a little bit later than Marcos here, you know, around the... Around the uh, I would say probably more the actual uh, third set in the Ravnica, the new Ravnica block. Um, and then, like, Theros was my first pre-release I ever played. And Limited is one of my favorite formats, whether it's draft or sealed. Uh, but I also really do love modern as well. I'm more of the combo type of player, so like, like my, one of my main decks is ad nauseum. I did recently start playing a blue white Ameria Titan deck again because it was the first deck I've ever played in modern. And at the time, it was not good because, well, Splinter Twin. And now it's not good because of every other deck. It's fine. <laughs> um, nevertheless, uh, so Dalton, Marcos, and myself, uh, Patrick, are all uh, level 2 judges. Uh, and Will and Brian uh, are, are basically player half of the, the podcast. Uh, so hopefully, uh, between the five of us, we can give you a, kind of a, a balanced opinion on, on what we can do moving forward to become better. Um, we, I think, all of us see a lot of people, whether it's in casual sense or competitive sense or even a professional level, that, you know, make mistakes and how they handle those mistakes. And how they improve and, and, and do better. Um, you know, when, when I first started playing and, you know, I'm sure maybe you guys have felt the same way, um, it's really easy to make a mistake and then just let it tank your entire match.
2: Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, there's, you know, like, tilting off the face of the planet is an actual thing. Like... Mm-hmm. You you just you punt you make a small punt and then you just kind of dwell on it and misplay more and then you dwell on that and it just kind of snowballs downhill and all of a sudden you're you know falling off the face of the planet and losing everything you're trying to do so
0: so I mean our our whole point in this com- uh, this this conversation and or podcast is, is to tell you no we're not professionals uh, we are not professionals in in this sense but we do see a lot of things and we do all learn from every experience we have and if even one of our listeners uh, can grow because of, of the things that we're talking about uh that's that's good for us so that's what we want all of us i believe are, are, are pretty education focused when it comes to helping other people i mean that's why i think Dolan, marcos and myself are all judges uh, marcos and i first started judging because we were playing commander every every saturday night and we we're like <laughs> i don't feel like calling with on my speed dial anymore which i actually had on my phone legit oh, yeah. um fun fact when you call watsy uh you're not always getting a judge and most of the time you were not getting a judge, so you, you would sit there, we'd, we'd be on hold, and talk to somebody, then they'd go talk to somebody else, and go, I think it works like this. And then we found out about other resources, like, uh, I think there's a Ask a Judge uh, online, and you can just type it in, and someone's manning it like almost all the time. Um, so, uh, Marcos, so do you want to talk about the concept of the show and, and how we plan on uh, continuing to put this podcast out?
4: Absolutely. So a couple things to touch on on when it comes to the overall plan of the show. Uh, Patrick made a very good point in that the whole point of this is that we're not pros. There's a lot of content out there if you're a Magic player where you can hear a lot of professional Magic players, players in the MPL, uh, players who stream every day, who are just out there and already at a high level and trying to help raise everybody else to that. Uh, But we are not in that area. We are more like what I assume most of our listeners are going to be, which are the players that are trying to get to that next level and who are always trying to level up. And so to that effect, we're all going to be focusing on what it takes to get there. You know, the five of us are constantly in a Facebook chat, just talking over new cards, new deck builds, new concepts. You know, oh, you should definitely check out this podcast because paulo vitor de Amadorosa, happen to have a really good insight into this one type of deck build for standard or whatever it might be uh so that's my portion on the whole point of the podcast now when it comes to how we're going to be doing this weekly uh there's five of us that's a lot of people all to be sitting around some microphones and talking to each other so uh because of that and the fact that some weekends Some of us may have more to say than others. For example, I'm in New York, a lot of the rest of the guys are in Indiana. So for example, I went to Magic Fest New Jersey last weekend and nobody else did. So I have a perspective that I can give from the judging side of having worked Magic Fest New Jersey, whereas uh, not everybody else might. So we're gonna work under, if there are any wrestling fans out there, the freebird rule, where we're gonna have about at least three of us here on any given week. The three that are here will typically rotate and we'll figure out what makes most sense to be able to have a good effective conversation that week. So, for example, Patrick already mentioned that we have three judges here. If we want to start talking about here's some important policy things that you need to know about because there have been changes to judge rulings and all that that you need to know to be able to be more effective when you're playing competitively. Well, the three of us might take that week. Whereas if, you know, Patrick, Will, and Brian want to sit down and talk about this awesome new deck that they've been working on and playtesting over the week that they're wanting to take to a competitive event, they might take that next week. So there will be some times where all of us will be here. I'm assuming big things like new set releases and when we want to talk about that or big important shows like our very first one. Yay. Woo! But that's going to be about how we're going to handle things from here on out.
0: Awesome, man. Thank you uh, for, for breaking that down. Um, Will, uh, we have a concept that we want to focus on uh, in this podcast, uh, that concept being uh, Day 3. Can you break that down a little bit for us?
2: Yes, um, and
0: uh, Brian was very
2: instrumental in you know, sculpting this concept of Day 3, which you might kind of think sounds a little odd because, you know, GPs are two-day events and all that kind of stuff. But it kind of culminates in this rise to get better. Uh, You know, you start all events on day one. You know, the first day, you're starting at the bottom. you got to work your way up, get to day two. And in GPs, day two is the final day. You know, top eight is like its own separate thing. So in a way, you can kind of assimilate that uh, and see it as a day three of its own, even though it's on the same day. But most importantly, the pro tour, day three is the top eight all on its own. So that's the end goal is to, you know, get to day three. (coughs) of a pro tour or now a mythic championship. And then on the other side, day three would be the Monday after your events. And then it's time to reflect on what happened over the weekend, what you did right, what you did wrong, how you can grow as a player and a person, honestly. I mean, I'm sure we can all, you know, work on not tilting as much and that sort of stuff that not only helps you as a player, but also just as a person to be more
3: calm and, you know, respectable to other people.
0: Awesome, Brian, did you want to add some of that too since you were so instrumental?
3: I think we'll mostly hit on all the points that I talked about really about you know looking back at what you did, how you can improve uh, both your attitude and your gameplay from what you did over the weekend.
0: Awesome. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Um, Dalton, we have some social media that we're going to be loading up and whatnot, and uh, you have some other social medias that maybe you want to talk about as well.
1: uh, If you're going to give you a, a shot here to do that. Yeah, so we are going to be posting these on as many forums as we can to make it as accessible to you all as possible. You can find us streaming on this podcast. We'll be using a few different forums. So we have a Twitch channel where you can find us whenever we go live with things. We will be on YouTube at a future (laughs) name that has not yet been designated, so make sure to stay in touch for that. And then we'll also be posting these on our social media for any of our friends that may or may not be interested in listening. Um, Now, as Patrick mentioned, I do come into this with a little bit of other experience in the magic world. Um, Many of you may be familiar with the Judging for the Win channel, It's run by David Eldon, a Level 2 who is also in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he goes over a bunch of different rules and policy documents for judges and for players to make sure that everyone is prepared for their events. Uh, I work on that with him as his co-host for the streams that we run on Twitch, which can be found every Thursday night at Judging for the Win, and as part of that I take everything that I learned there as a judge and everything that I put forth into this podcast. So as Patrick mentioned, he, Marcos and myself are all level two judges. We are going to be bringing in different aspects of this to this podcast than others might. And that's not a bad thing. I'd say that diversity is a great thing and being able to have multiple different perspectives is great, Um, but it doesn't mean we're just judges. We're not gonna focus on only rules and policy. There are plenty of other mediums for that that are absolutely fantastic. What we want to focus on is how you could possibly use things like your rules and policy knowledge to better yourself in an event. How you can use that policy that got updated on missed triggers to possibly put yourself at a better advantage to win a game. Obviously, I'm not talking about cheating here, but knowing the rules of the game specifically grants players a better advantage when playing. It's specifically stated in the Magic Tournament rules. So being able to use that definitely will come in handy.
2: Also, to interject real quick, uh, knowing your rules also helps with certain situations where you can focus less on things that you don't have to worry about, and you know, utilize your brain power more efficiently towards actually focusing on the game. Like the new Miss Triggers thing, I always see people, you know, like putting something on top of their deck, uh, something to remind themselves that hey, I have to pay my pack before I draw my card. And I believe with the new rule changes, it's like you can't get oopsied by that anymore. Correct.
0: Kind of. I mean, so so the, the, way, the way that it's been broken down, uh, from my understanding, is it's treated like a normal trigger now. So yes. It's, it's not a default action, which means if you didn't pay, you just lose. Yeah, exactly. Now, the opponent has the opportunity to wait until, oh, you tapped out? Cool. Now I'm going to call a judge and say, hey, my opponent missed their trigger. I'd like to put it on the stack, please. So you can still get defaulted into losing the game. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, but I feel personally attacked, by the way. <laughs> you know,
0: I play Pact of Negation as well, Marcos. We're, we're, we're both here. Um, yeah, but you, know, you have
4: other cards that say you don't lose the game that turn yeah, you're, you,
0: you're right, you're right. <laughs> trigger on stack, Angel's Grace, got it. Exactly. Um, uh, but nevertheless, yeah, so I mean, y- 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 you obviously can't intentionally miss your trigger
2: and try to do other things. Yeah, but um, you can't just... Like you know, you go to draw your card and your opponent goes, you lose the game.
0: Right, right, yeah, and which is which is good, I think. I think this is a a, a change that has been long in the making. Um, that I don't know. It still feels better. Uh, you lose because you didn't do the thing because you forgot, not yeah. because you couldn't or that you chose not to. Just because, wow, it's the ninth round and I've played three games every single round. And, and Amulet
4: Titan is very difficult to play. Sure, and Amulet Titan's
0: very to <laughs> cool play. I was trying to not to you know pigeonhole us into just Amulet Titan, but it's fine. You do you, you know, whatever. Yeah, I know it's close to your heart. <laughs> I speak from what I know. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, these are these are all changes that we're going to talk about. Stuff like stuff like this, but also, um, from the player's perspective, uh, how how things are changing. Um, obviously the big one right now is these you know, new Mythic Championships. That things that are replacing PPTQs, sort of, not really. We don't know. Um. <laughs> Yeah. MTQs? Is that what they're kind of sort of being called right now by us? They actually MCQs. changed those
4: again. No, they're not oh. MCQs anymore. Oh, God. They're actually now MQs because too many trolls on Twitter were calling them Mick qualifiers and yes. people didn't like that. So <laughs> I do. Uh, I do that. At GP New Jersey, <laughs> when we were running that, I was actually on the team for that event, and they specifically were like, no, 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 this is just now the mythic qualifier. It's no longer an MCQ.
2: That makes sense. And you know, from like a normal you know, quote-unquote normal player perspective such as myself, um, this whole, like, PPTQs are going away, and I'm just like, okay, what chance do I have of even, like, attempting to qualify for a Pro Tour now? Because PPTQs were the only way I knew of before outside of, like, you know, the Mox, the Magic Online Championship Series, which, I mean, the let's be honest, the competition for that is much higher. The player base is much more centered towards pro players than it is at PPTQs, so it's going to be much more difficult to get there and when they mm-hmm. released all this information about Mythic Championships and changing the PPTQ mm-hmm. structure, and I'm just like, well, this is all up in the air. Well, you know, Where do I go next? And it's just like, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to play Magic and try and focus on getting better until I have more info on how I can move towards you know, qualifying for a Pro 2 or Mythic Championship, whatever they're calling it now, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I think we're at a really unique time right now, too, for even starting this podcast, because typically up until now, the whole like tournament grinder scene has been very jamming pptqs until you can string together a few rptqs and maybe get to a pt here and there and it was very well defined as to what you need to do and how you need to accomplish that i think us coming in now is also a really good opportunity because we don't know what that is anymore there is no pptqs there are no rptqs coming up and really the only way to get to a mythic championship right now is to have been previously qualified or do really well at a grand prix and that's it so Uh, I think it's a good chance for us to kind of revisit how we spend our time on trying to get better by not necessarily relying as much on those weekly events like a PPTQ or an RPTQ that we get to uh, and focus on instead on like the bigger paper events that there are out there, like Star City Games open weekends or going to the Grand Prix whenever it comes to town under the umbrella of Magic Fest or whatever it's going to be now, you know, and and focusing on, okay what do we need to do to maximize for that venue? Versus even something like, how do I maximize grinding the ladder to maybe be one of the top eight to be invited to this Mythic Invitational and grind oh up to Mythic on Arena? So, I mean, having er- a job? Yeah, not
0: having <laughs> a job. <laughs> and no time living in your mom's basement. I don't know. Nothing Sorry, against people living in basements. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Playing magic being your job. Let's be real. Yeah, there you go. Yeah.
4: Yes, very true. <laughs> Although even that's being debated by some pros as yeah. to how worthwhile that is because, again, the lack of information is really what's holding back a lot of people from really committing to uh, a new philosophy and a new paradigm on how to really get to where you want to be if you want to be considered a professional magic player. Which even that is just being redefined and, and reevaluated right now. So
2: I was gonna say, technically, the only prof- you know quote unquote professional magic players are the people in the MPL and they're already qualified for the Invitational, so they don't even need to worry about grinding the ladder, even mm-hmm. though I assume some number of them will probably be in the top eight, and then they'll have to, I don't know, relegate Invitations down for the list, I assume? Uh, no, they, we don't yeah, know. They, 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 they never said twice. anything about
0: it. Oh, they, they get yeah, two Invitations? Yeah, they get two Invitations. They might even play themselves. That way they have two random decks. Oh, man, that's awkward. It's
1: hilarious. Yeah.
0: No, they'd have to have four random decks. And that's, you know, that's. Um, obviously, we kind of covered our next point without even trying. Um, it was not intentional, but we, we wanted to talk a little bit about you know the, the Mythic uh, Imitation Qualifiers. Or So let's take a moment about that. It, I've heard a lot of discussion, uh, even in the last couple of days, about uh, this format where you randomly pick your first deck, and then you play your second deck, and if you go to game three, then you get to pick which one you want to play, and mm-hmm. um, this kind of offers up a <coughs> weird deck building challenge. Uh, because if you know for a fact that uh, you're going to play three games with a single deck, uh, maybe you have a sideboard that's built a certain way. Um, but from my knowledge, I didn't hear anything about actual sideboards. There, is, there is no nope. sideboarding. No sideboards.
2: You have two 60-card decks. From what I read, you know, assuming yep. that the article is all up to date and a- <laughs> accurate in what they're going to do. You have two random decks. One is selected at random for game one. Game two, you're forced to play the other deck that you brought. So not only does that put a constraint on, you know, not professional Magic Lower players to have two full decks in paper, it does interpret some level of skill where, like, it's like, do I just pick two aggro decks and try and smork my opponent, you know, just smash face? Or do you try and metagame that meta and pick decks that are good against aggro decks, but also reasonable as just mid-range decks, like, you know, the Salt mid-range deck, obviously, that we saw at the Indie Open is, is a very solid deck. Um, I assume we'll be seeing some of that if it's still, you know, one of the most relevant decks, but it it does bring in that, but then you're also spending potentially another three, four hundred dollars to build another 60-card deck and, you know, somebody that isn't, you know, doesn't have a high-paying career, or doesn't play Magic professionally as, as they're living, that'll be really difficult for them to locate all those cards and it might,
1: you know, it might prohibit some players from even attempting to enter into these tournaments. Yes, and so for the record, the article that we're talking about is titled The And of MTG Arena, and this was put out on January 31st by Aaron Forsyth, who is the Senior Design Director for Magic the Gathering, as well as Chris Clay, who is on the MTG Arena team. And so, what we were discussing is their idea that you're essentially going to have a deck and then a side deck. And that there's really not a whole lot of other information that's been put out besides that. Um, The idea is that you know it takes out the nuance of sideboarding in magic because now you have a separate deck to choose from but it does add that nuance of okay now i have to buy two decks or maybe you and your friend were going to sign up for an event you were going to loan your friend your deck well now you can't because you need
4: it also puts a a really weird distinction on how you're building your decks not just in the okay do i take both of my deck options and really split them up and what they're trying to accomplish let's say we go okay i'm gonna do mono red aggro here and here i'm gonna do a salt control style deck but then the problem comes to okay if your aggro deck is really good at getting under but it has absolutely no late game but then your salt deck has zero defense against that same red deck and you can only control the late game well then what happens in game three after you've seen that your opponent is running both of the same and now you have to decide which of your two to bring in.
3: It informs your deck building a little bit differently. There are some decks that are really good pre board, and then they get considerably worse post board. And now, do we look at these 60 card decks and we just find the most degenerate uh, sets of 60 and 60 in the entire format and just smash them against each other? And that just sounds kind of like a very prospect. That doesn't sound like a fun thing to watch, though, for the viewers at home, whoever is supposed to be the target audience. And
2: to build upon this, if you look at, you know, I'm sure all of you, if you're actually Magic players and do some research on it, you know that Arena, best of one, up until the Mythic, you know, up until the Mythic rank, ranking, it is primarily mono-red aggro because that deck is very, very good at what it does game one, but we did not see very much of that in the top 32 at the Indie Open because post-board in games 2 and 3, it gets considerably worse. Considerably worse because people have cards to fight that deck and just eat it up. I mean, especially the Saltite decks, you know, those other mid-range decks,
1: and even the Control decks bring stuff in. For a record, there were five copies of Mono Red in the top 32. Okay, so there was more than, open. I, more than I thought. But I guarantee that there was a higher count of... Based on what I saw as a judge on the event, it seemed like more than one in six people were playing mono red aggro. So you're saying it was probably the
2: most popular day one deck, but probably had one of the lowest conversion rates.
0: Like like my my side of things, I saw a million Gates decks day one, Mm. and like none on day two. It's great. Because uh, they it went to time, like maybe that's why I saw them, Because you know, you know, obviously a- as a judge, you know, when you're when you're at the end of your round, you have to be sitting on matches, and uh, it seemed like every time I got sent out at the end, end of like the first five rounds, it was oh look at Gates' deck, oh look, we've gone to time five minutes ago and they're still in the first turn. What's happening? I mean, um,
2: that, that logically checks out though, because the red decks are usually winning or losing their games in what six, seven minutes. Sense, yeah. And, and uh, you know, another thing is that just the, the red decks in general. They play fast, they they really punish an opponent if they stumble, even a single turn, um, which makes them really good in the best of one meta, so it's only natural to assume that these, what do they call them, Arena Standard, or Standard Duos? Arena Standard. Arena Standard, that these tournaments, one of the decks is going to be like the fastest aggro deck in the format, because if your opponent gets their random deck that's not prepared to battle that immediately, or... You know, they, they get a bad opening hand, they mulligan, stumble on a land draw. Like, the red deck will just run them over and win. And at that point, the two sixty 60-card decks at random, it almost feels more like rock, paper, scissors than a game of magic. Because it feels like it's going to be determined by what deck you're playing game one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if, if you both have an aggro deck and a control deck, and your opponent has an aggro deck and a control deck, if you get your aggro deck game one, they get their control deck game one, you're probably going to have a good chance of winning unless they're, like, heavily skewed towards beating aggro. And then, look, game two, they're playing their aggro deck, you're playing your control deck, and they're highly favored to win that game. So at that point, it's just like, then you're playing a best-of-one game in game three, and you have to decide, are they going to play their control deck? Or are they going to play their aggro deck? And that's, like, the only decision you have to make, it feels
0: like. So so what you're saying is they just changed uh, improperly determining the winner in the IPG to say that it's not an automatic DQ, and then, then they announced this thing about... <coughs> I mean, that's, Basically being
1: random.
2: That, that's what it feels like in a oh, way. Man. Um, I mean, okay, if you look at standard um, over the past year when I started really trying to get competitive about it, like repeatedly I kept seeing the key to standard is sideboarding. The key to standard is sideboarding. And that's why certain pro players are so good because they're so good at sideboarding. And that's why they're consistently putting up good finishes in standard because they built their sideboards really well and they knew how to sideboard for each matchup really well. And now it just feels like, everybody that spent all this time focusing on that, trying
1: to get better, it's just kind of like, well, sorry. And and another thing that they have mentioned in the article that we're discussing is that the decks don't have to be entirely different. Um, If you have two decks that are the exact same 60, that is fine by them, as as far as what we can read from the article. So if you want to play mana red and you want to guarantee you're playing mana red, both of your decks can be mana red. That feels like really fun and entertaining
2: magic to watch. (laughs) That was heavy sarcasm for those that can't tell.
0: Almost (laughs) like watching KCI on stream. No, at
2: least least the Red Deck will win two games and
1: time takes KCI to win a game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Marcos,
4: I
1: believe you have something you want to say?
4: Yeah, and it's interesting because we're talking about how much fun this is going to be to watch and we're assuming that this is a priority for Watsy because, well, the whole Invitational here, the only things they've been announcing are, hey, come and watch this big event. We're putting a million dollars in this tournament. We're putting a million dollars in this other tournament. And so... I find it interesting that they're choosing this kind of standard constriction on deck building and everything to make it more entertaining to watch. I think I think in the article they mentioned that they specifically want to avoid the non-games. And I guess I'm just not 100% seeing how this kind of restriction on deck building and matchups are going to help avoid that overall. So, yeah, exactly.
2: They even came out and said the best of one, how they have their, you know opening hand formula is to prevent non-games of magic Mm -hmm. but this feels like it's a coin toss you know depending on the decks you bring obviously you could just bring like two mid-range decks and hope to dodge control but again i you know it's just all coin flip thing on deck choice but there's gonna be some games where it's just like you know your decks are randomly selected for game one and your opponent's deck is just designed to beat your deck and it's like i mean i I played cards it didn't
4: Yeah, it's fascinating how they're building everything here to, I guess, to what end? I'm assuming that they put some testing into this and they're not going into it blind. Bold assumption, I know. But (laughs) at at this point, I I really want to see what that kind of metagame shapes out to, where you're building best-of-one decks that basically are forced to be more towards the mid-range area if -hmm. you want to have about equal game against the entire field. And then the question is, do you find an aggro deck or an extreme control deck that can prey on those? Or are you just stuck with mid-range mirrors being the matchups every single game? It's going to be interesting to see. I-
2: oh yeah, definitely. And Brian, to get your perspective on this, because you're, I mean, you're, you're definitely more of a deck specialist. You're like, this is my deck that I want to play. I'm going to play this deck and make it as best that I can. If you want to do that in this sort of arena standard, not only do you have to really... Really focus and tune that to be all the decks, but then you have to buy, like, you know, twice as many copies of all your cards if that's what you want to do.
3: Right, if you want to play the same deck twice, you have to buy your deck twice or acquire your deck twice, whatever it ends up being. And then at that point, too, you have to consider do I stick some sideboard only cards in my main 60 just to kind of hedge against what I think I might see? You know, do I run a shatter effect main board because well maybe there's a artifact i need to blow up
0: that is fair that is fair um you know in you know we've seen a lot of talk about uh, nexus of fate this last week as well uh, <laughs> so let me say that's my deck that, that's my, maybe that's my favorite deck it's not uh, by the way. why am i not but, surprised I said it's not. Um, I, have, I own zero copies of Nexus Fate currently. I but that card
4: is very much your aesthetic.
0: Y- y- you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I do like the. I'm just going to
4: keep doing it. You just kind
0: of sit over there and do nothing.
4: Uh,
0: I do like those kind of decks. Uh, but let's say I want to play two of the same deck. Now I have to buy eight copies of Nexus Fate, at which, if we ever do play paper, they'll all be proxied anyway. <laughs> if the head judge allows it? Yes. Um, but you still yeah.
2: have to own the physical
0: copies. Right. Well, yeah, like, and like at this event but, in, in Indy. I saw you know people playing like band, and then there were just random mountains with, you know, Sharpie. nexus of a fade on it. I'm just sitting there going, "This is on coverage. <laughs> like, this is on the camera match." Yeah, and it's like, I, I understand the buy a box promo. I think it's a cool idea because it makes it limited. But a seven drop, take an extra turn card should okay. not be a thirty-four dollar
2: card. Can, also, yes. But the fundamental, like the fundamental brokenness of that card, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Well, one, it's an instant, which is super weird for an extra turn spell. That's uh-huh. not the broken part. The broken part is that the shuffling back in is a replacement effect and not a triggered ability, so you literally cannot interact with it except for exiling it from their deck with Unmoored Ego. That's, oh. fair. That's
1: fair. And and so with this article, I I do want to mention that. From what they have put out, is this is going to be an arena format. Okay. Um, so theoretically, if you want to play the same deck, you only need the four copies on arena, and you'll be able to put both lists huh. in. That's fair. Which solves some of the problems yeah. there, but if it's going to be big on arena, if it's something that actually takes off, I don't see why paper store, paper events wouldn't want to try to, to copy that. Um, one of the things that started on arena was the best-of-one drafts. Everyone you know, hops into a draft, you queue up, you get your cards, and then you play up to seven, or I guess nine best-of-one matches where you either get seven wins or three losses. Or maybe it's five. I, five and two. I, I don't know off the top the of my best head. The best-of-one is seven wins, three <clears throat> losses. Okay. Um, so that's something that took off on Arena and people seemed to like because it was faster to play. You didn't have to sign up for up to nine hour-long matches, you were done in best-of-one. However, because that got popular, Wizards have started asking stores if they would like to run best-of-one drafts, where the players would draft their cards, they would get a 20-minute round to play best-of-one match with your draft deck, and then you would progress on from there, which, as I mentioned, is currently something they're experimenting with. They've only, from what I understand, asked a few stores to do this or if they wanted to, but it means it's something they're thinking about. They're trying to take what has been successful online and move it into paper. So the idea of this arena standard, this two deck best of one, best of three, is really interesting. Um, and, and I I theorize that if it is something that's popular on arena, it won't be long before we see it. I mean, also yes, realize yeah.
4: they're. They were kind of testing this out a little bit beforehand with things like turbo drafts at the end of the day at Grand Prix or now Magic Fest. So they guess I guess they did kind of give this a feel beforehand and saw how it would play out if you want to just get in, do a quick draft and get out. Uh, I don't know. I think I think there's a lot more to what they're trying to do here and a lot more that we all have to adjust to when it comes to just what arena magic is and what paper magic is.
2: Yeah, and to expand on that, I guess earlier we were running another premise that they're going to move this format from digital to paper. Um, and going back to what Dalton was saying about the best-of-one draft, I think one thing that Wizards may have forgotten is that you can enter the best-of-one drafts with the gold that you can earn in-game, whereas the traditional best-of-three draft is gems-only intro, which is you know your real money currency. Um, so personally, I will play the best-of-one drafts in order to hopefully earn gems so then I can play the best-of-three draft. It's, I, I prefer the best-of-three draft because that's you know, that, that's how it's always been before, and that's, it, it, it just feels better because you can't just play a best-of-one. It's like, oh, cool, I went six turns without drawing my third land, so I didn't get to play any cards, whereas best-of-three, it's like, yeah, you can do that one game, but then you still have chances to get back in. So I think it's just better magic. There's, it helps limit the variance and just <coughs> overall provides a better experience for both players, in my opinion.
0: Uh, you know, if, if you saw the the beaten horse off of the side, um, that was us. So. It might be dead. <laughs> it, it, it may be dead. Um, Are we sure? sure?
4: Do we need uh, to go back and just double check? We can try again.
0: We can try. You know, let's start over. Let's. Uh, so these myth qualifiers, guys. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, nevertheless, um, so what we want to do uh, when we kind of wrap up one of these episodes is kind of talk about what each of us is playing in in, in a format that we're playing, uh, how we're playing it, whether it's paper or we're uh, on arena, et cetera, and kind of lets you know how we're doing with our deck. Um, we'll just do like one one deck a week. We won't you know blast you with uh, tons of different decks. Um, but it's kind of like our pet deck a little bit, or it might just be something we're trying out because we think it might be cool. Um, so we're gonna let Will go first and, and jump in on this.
2: Okay, uh, for standard, I am playing Esper Control because I like to prevent my opponent from playing Magic. That's exactly what I do. Cheer- yeah, everyone. I try. Magic's a zero-sum fun game, confirmed. <clears throat> And then for Modern, uh, my main deck is Tron. it's the deck I've been playing for two and a half years, as I said earlier, and then I also have mono green Combo Elves, but I just kind of play that for fun when I don't want to think so much.
0: It's
3: fair, it's fair. How about yourself, Brian? So I've been playing a decent amount of Modern recently. It's a, the deck I've been playing is a blue-red, kind of a Blue Moon Delver tempo sort of thing. <laughs> blue Moon main deck, or Blood Moon main deck. Rough absolutely. Wait, can't confirm it. <laughs> if,
1: imagine any rare from Innistrad block. Babe, any of the Innistrad blocks. Hey, Bilber's a
3: common. Hey, oh, okay. hey, hey. fly. He just seems like a rare Not <laughs> My bad. Um, and so that, that's that been a lot of fun recently and it does okay sometimes. <laughs> but and it's then, fun. I mean, it beats Sandazium. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes. <laughs> In Standard, I've when I get the chance to play Standard, I've been playing a blue and red kind of Drake control deck.
2: Mm-hmm. I, th- I feel a
0: theme here. I
2: feel
0: like blue-red. I, I'm
3: going to say it again. I don't think he likes blue-red.
0: We, we're really shooting them deck, guys. Come on.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's unique about... about your blue-red build? Oh, yeah. Oh, Thunderous Wrath. Absolutely. More from
3: being bored.
1: Oh, man. In Standard, right?
3: Yes.
0: God. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I have played against Brian, again, with that dowsing at the time, and I, I did feel the wrath of a, oh, let me reveal this thunderous wrath, and also reveal it to Delver, so I'm going to flip it
3: and, and hit you for five. Huh. It's like, <laughs> well, Ooh. that sucks. <clears> Hitting <throat> somebody for eight on turn two is uh, about the best thing that can happen.
0: I'm sitting here going, well, next turn I'm going to play Phyrexian on life, maybe. Oh, it's remanded, that sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: nevertheless. Uh, how, about, how about yourself, Dalton? Uh, so, my deck that I've been playing for probably three, four years now is a Naya Blitz deck, basically combining the best aspects of Naya Zoo and Naya Burn and then smushing them together. So, Wild Nakoddles, Lightning Bolts, Boros Charms, Atarka's Command, all sorts of fun stuff. And then in Arena, I've been playing a lot of Red White Auras, so abusing Adonto Vanguard's abilities as well as combining that with, like, Danatha, Capassion, and Valduk, the Flamekeeper, with auras such as Frenzied Rage, um, Knight's Pledge, and uh, Swashbuckling to basically just smush my opponent's face. And it's fantastic. So would you
0: say you like to turn things sideways?
1: Uh, no, Danatha has Vigilance. Oh, we got him. So
2: by the way, Dalton is not actually Goblin, for those wondering.
4: He just likes to Smork. Smork. just smork.
0: Smork. What
4: about yourself, Marcus? So I'm going to leave the Amulet Titan discussions for down the line because Lord knows (laughs) I have enough to talk about there. Uh, But just a brief touch on that. There was a Through the Breach Amulet Titan version that did very well in an SCG recently that I've been testing out and might want to run uh, in a paper event. We'll see. Might stream it a little bit down the line on, on Magic Online. But really what I've been jamming this week has been, and to put this in context as to where everything is, so last weekend was GP New Jersey, we're recording this on the Saturday after GP New Jersey, and so I have been running a lot of the Gates deck, uh, specifically the standard Gates deck <laughs> that has Hydroid Krasis in it, has Gates of Blaze, the Gatebreaker Ram, and this deck is just so silly and dumb. I love playing things that just do way more than what they should for the amount of mana I invested into it, and having a deal ten damage to every creature on the board spell for three mana is kind of amazing.
0: It makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I will uh, I will claim the title as the resident uh, jink master. Um, <laughs> if anyone wants to fight me for it, I brain it on. Uh, I used to play uh, in standard the paint heart monicon deck just because it was hilarious. Uh, five colors, buddy, uh, get them. Uh, but currently, uh, I've been playing a lot of modern. Uh, again, I've been playing the Blue, White, and Marya Titan. It's kind of my baby right now. Uh, just because I think it's funny to have somebody like Friday Night Magic last night, someone asked me after game one, said, uh, is this a real deck? <laughs> no no, no offense, man, but is this a real deck? I'm like, no, no offense taken, and sort of, I mean, it, it, it exists. Uh, is it tier one? No, tier two? Ah, maybe tier three. Uh, but you know it, it rarely wins games sometimes, you know? It, I, I almost got there against Jeskai Control in Game 2. Uh, didn't get to Game 3 because we ran out of time. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, but in, in Standard, um, currently in Arena, I have a, a blue-white flash deck nearly built uh, with, with Lyra and Teferi and uh, I think I have a card in there right now, too. And uh, but most most importantly, Raph Capuchin because uh, nothing like slamming a History of Benelia in combat uh, <laughs> uh, to uh, to stop people and have them go, oh, wait, what? Uh, or, or just have my Teferi and they think they're going to you know, red their way to killing my Tiferi. i am just—I'm like, gonna exile all non-legendaries with Ursus Ruinous Blast at instant speed. Hope that's okay. Uh, well,
4: that and sounds nasty.
0: It's hilarious. It's fun. It's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, there's, there's a lot better decks right now, but it, it's fun. Again, it, it's kind of janky. Uh, that's that's who I am as a person uh, when it comes to Magic, uh, which is which is why I think I liked Ad Nauseum so much. Uh, because it was basically, I'm going to play for a bit, and if you're not dead by turn five, then I didn't do my job, and you win. So, important question.
1: The uh, player that asked you if it
0: was a real deck, Yes. did you win? I did. He was playing uh, Gritch's Death Shadow for game one, and he just was confused. Uh-huh. Uh, he never saw Maria. Uh, <laughs> I, I played a Sun Titan the very last turn, and he just kind of looked at it like, what's going on? Um, I also played the Ojatai's <laughs> Command uh, that game, and he was like, what, "What? what is this? Like, like he knew what the card was, and he, he just was like, well, who's playing this, who's, you know, card?
2: So Patrick, real quick, your objective is for your opponent to stop and have to read a card? Uh, yes! Every
0: time. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, we, we even, again, when Marcos and I first started playing the Magic together, uh, it was mostly Commander, and all the friends in that group probably played Innistrad up to, like, Return of Ravnica cards in their commander decks. Like, that was, that was like, it. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: there were a few other ones, but I had this sweet tub of cards from, like, 7th edition and before uh, oh under my goodness. bed when I first started playing. I was like, I'm going to play this card, and everyone on that table would go, huh? What's that? <laughs> and then... That and was it, basically it,
4: the question <laughs> I had to ask at least eight times during Patrick's turn. Like, what does that card do again? And the glee <laughs> that I saw <laughs> in his eyes was just...
0: I, I do remember the the first time, and I, I don't want to dwell too much on this, this you know... Topic, but uh, I do remember the first time that at my uh, Melik, is uh, it deck which Brian has piloted once or twice, <laughs> had an and I have the storm played, and oh. someone immediately went well okay fine blossom sacked, and I responded with Boros trying to make my guys indestructible, which and then at the t- and then I think believe Marcos played, Spanishing uh, t- stroke. So all these things i put under uh, Eye of the Storm. And if you don't know Eye of the Storm, basically when you, when you cast an instant sorcery, it's it it's exiled underneath Eye of the Storm. And then you may play any number of the cards that are already exiled under the, Eye of the Storm at no cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was... This is back before the Tuck Rule commander. Uh, so he talked to my commander. And then I responded by talking to his commander. Then he tunnel visioned, which said, you know, name a card. That person puts the cards in the graveyard until they hit that card. So the commander... And so we build each other out, and everyone else at the table is just sitting there going, "Like, guys, what are you doing?"
4: <laughs> uh, this is, is actually the story yeah. that led to us probably wanting to become judges in the end, because we had to sit right. there and actually explain it to everybody, and we were like, "Oh, this is actually kind of fun."
0: Yeah, enjoyable, enjoyable. So, so again, I, I like Jink. Uh, you know, you'll probably have seen a lot of uh, Blue White Titan beings streamed uh, coming up here on our, on our channel uh, by me, uh, just because. It's hilarious to watch people online. I, I, I think out of the last like six or seven times I've played online, uh, three of them have lost game one and then scooped. Uh, <laughs> granted, I am just playing in like the open leagues right now. Uh, I'm not I'm not doing like the competitive stuff. Uh, just because I wanted to, you know, get a feel. Um, I'm actually relatively new uh, to Magic Online. Um, I finally made the jump because I realized I could buy my entire deck for forty dollars. So I was like, oh, well, that seems good. I uh, like it. Um, there will be a list at some point posted up of all our, our decks in their current form, and then you can kind of watch as they as they change over time. Uh, we can post that you know in like a, one of our podcasts uh, when we post it up on on Twitch or if we have a stream going, we'll have them up there for you. Otherwise, does anybody else have any other points about their their decks or what they're playing right now? No. Fantastic. Um, so I'm gonna give it over to Brian here to kind of close us out for the day uh, on one last topic, um, which is to is basically something we're going to do at, at the end of every episode. Um,
3: take away, Brian. So to close out our podcast, uh, we're going to do something called the Weekly Segment of the Week. Trademark. And... <laughs> <laughs> this week, I believe, Will has a fantasy blowout of the week. I do.
2: Uh, so as you know, I've been playing Old Eldrazi Tron a lot, and I was testing a build with uh, Simian Spirit Guide, a.k.a. Mana Monkeys, because I wanted to turn one... Chalice on one people because you know the Phoenix decks and a lot of the decks are running one mana spells that are very very good, and I was playing against a dredge player and how the turn sculpted. Uh, on my fourth turn, I had an Eldrazi Temple which can tap for two mana for Eldrazi's, two one mana lands and a Scavenger Grounds which you can pay to tap it, sack it, sack a desert. Sorry, sacrifice the desert and then exiles all graveyards. Well, at the point my opponent the previous turn had basically dredged half their deck they had four prized amalgams in their graveyard and stuff i had a thought not seer on the field and i had my scavenger grounds and one land untapped and they tried to uh, get a blood gas back with the trigger when they play a land and that would have gotten another prized amalgam back so in response i exiled a simian spirit guide sacrificed my scavenger grounds and exiled all the graveyards so just prevented them from getting any of their creatures back And, as usual, for Dredge, they scooped on the spot. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, Dredge dredge does Dredge things unless they don't Dredge, and then then if they're not Dredging, then they they scoop.
2: Best part was he he thought he was safe because he's like, oh, you only have one land that you can pay for scavenger guns with. And I was like, surprise mana monkey got there. Is there ever
0: not a surprise mana monkey? (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's like how they were. They were like, hey, what's up? I mean, it's even more of a surprise when you cast one. They're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Uh, here's my great ogre. It will kill you in 10 turns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Uh, we will have other of the week segments of the week. What was it again? Weekly segments segment of the, of the week. week. Of the week. Trey Barker. <laughs>
1: <Just trademark. laughs> like Weekly
0: segment of the week. Got it. Beautiful. So we will have more of those. They'll range from anything from punching, I'm sure we'll have a lot of those oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. maybe some sweet deck tech against a very certain matchup maybe maybe you play in your meta and everyone plays uh, Eldrazi Tron that's unlikely but uh, you never know and maybe you're just like no I'm gonna play this card that gets rid of the yeah, neck come on this creature beautiful uh, we like it we like it we'll take it and you know feel free to su- submit some of those to us too if you have a really cool of the week maybe we'll feature yours or we'll feature one of ours we'll figure it out uh, nevertheless feel free to follow us on twitch at twitch.tv slash collective on Twitter at MTG Team CE, we will have a YouTube page going up shortly, or you can reach out to us directly at teamcollectiveeffort@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Again, that's teamcollectiveeffort at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, thanks for tuning in and everybody say goodbye.
4: Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.